Hi, and welcome to The Farcast. I'm Alex Helmbrecht, and joined here, as always, my esteemed co-host, Daniel Binkard. Uh, the Daniel Binkard. I'm uh, sorry. Apologies. <laughs> apologies, Daniel. Uh, our guest today is Caitlin Lambert. She is a lecturer in the communication program. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to be here today. You bet. So you're in your first year teaching here at CSC, um, maybe first half of the semester, basically. So what classes are you teaching, and, and how's the semester going so far? So I am teaching three communication classes. Um Fundamentals of Oral Communication, which is just your general kind of speech course that's expected for everybody to take at Shattern State. I'm also teaching event planning and leadership, which is a relatively popular class on campus, so it's fun to get to teach that. And then Applied Public Relations, which is an upper-level PR course, kind of teaching students about different materials they'll need to build within a PR career and kind of what their career could look like if they decide to go that route. Uh, It's been a crazy semester so far. I graduated from UNO in August of 2020, and with my master's in communication, So this is my first full year teaching as the sole instructor in the classroom, which is really interesting, but I'm really enjoying it. I taught for two years at UNO, so I feel comfortable, but it's definitely a change going from having someone else in the classroom with you to running your own classroom, but I'm really enjoying it so far. It's a change, but it's been great. Okay. Well, and um, obviously, uh, because I know this, I I was talked to, to your applied PR class, uh, and the word podcast was mentioned a couple times in that class. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe uh, some extra credit in, in right? your students' futures for listening <laughs> yeah. to this. Well, and I actually just did a podcast <laughs> assignment with my freshman um, speaking class, and I think they really enjoyed it. I let them pick their topics, and they kind of did it roundtable style, kind of like this. And I'll be listening to them this weekend to grade them, but I think they really enjoyed it. We did a similar assignment at UNO, so I think podcasting is a very great medium to know how to utilize within your career. It can be great for branding and building your portfolio, even getting better at public speaking. So I think it's so accessible to have a podcast and make one that I think it's a great tool for people to have in their back pocket. What would you attribute the maybe the popularity or the success of podcasts too, because I remember reading something in NPR recently about how there's so many millions of hours of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's got to be endless. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, everyone, I mean, you and I have a podcast. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone has yeah. one. Anyone can do I thought it. about starting one. Maybe I will someday. I think some of it comes from the fact that we well, have a platform like Spotify, for instance, that people use solely for music streaming, but then they were able to find a way that they didn't need to have another app to listen to podcasts through. And I think for a lot of people, it kind of helps in fostering a parasocial relationship with people that you want to interact with otherwise. You can access content in a really informal way, but still learn a lot. And it isn't as daunting as maybe even listening to a TED Talk or something, because it is, you feel like you're just listening to some friends sitting around and talking and having a conversation, be it yeah. intellectual or yep. silly, what have you. So I think that that's a big part of it is just, it's so informal and you feel like you're sitting in someone's living room just having a conversation. Yeah. I, I mean... I. I th- I think it's a very good point. Um, So I just did a Graves lecture presentation earlier this week, Mm -hmm. and what I had prepared and rehearsed is my my script, essentially, was one style of delivery. And then um, if I would riff off of that, or especially during the Mm Q&A session, and that certainly felt more natural. And I tried to write the script to sound natural, but you just, it's so hard to get around that. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think you're absolutely right, though, that, that, that informal, that, that, you're with a friend 
or at least you're listening to your friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think another example, which some people listening might know what I'm talking about, but it's pretty nerdy, but there's a Twitch stream that's called Critical Role, which is a Dungeons & Dragons stream, where it's a group of voice actors streaming every week this long-form campaign, but you feel like you know these people. I was actually talking to Adam Hughes about this recently, where you feel like you know this group of friends, like you're part of their friend group too. So it's a really weird dynamic, but I think, you know, they have it as a podcast as well. So that's kind of why I wanted to mention it. But it's just really interesting, the various ways in which people can reach such a large audience for such niche topics. I mean, who would have thought there'd be a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, but now there's countless on any platform. So it's really interesting. Yeah, the ones that kind of make me chuckle are... Um, like the, their podcasts that basically watch, you know, like old movies. Like I, I oh, love listening to this podcast. Riff, riff tracks kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like How Did This Get Made is a really funny podcast yeah. about watching terrible movies. Yeah. And then there's podcasts about The Office and Parks. Mm-hmm. And, so, I mean, you can make a podcast about content that's already cr- – yeah. so it's like content on top of is, content. Is it yeah. too easy? Is it too much low-hanging? I, yeah. I don't know. I, it seems like there's always room for analysis, though, isn't there? Oh, Whether yeah. it's I fun mean, or in-depth. Totally. I – I like to listen to, I've been watching House of the Dragon, which is the Game of Thrones kind of prequel series, and I have been listening to podcasts kind of going through everything because there's so much lore with that whole world, so it's really interesting to kind of hear more people talk about it, and then I kind of take a step back, and I'm like, why am I listening to this? This isn't even a real world. Like, why am I learning history of this fake thing that doesn't exist? But, the escapism uh, angle yes, is real. Definitely. It's important. <laughs> definitely. It's, yeah, it's, uh, fiction's fun. Yeah. It is. Um, here we could just do the rest of the podcast talking about podcasts. No kidding. But, so, so you you have graduated from CSC for your undergraduate mm-hmm. degree. So, what's it like being back and teaching at your alma mater? The imposter syndrome is very real. I it's really odd teaching the classes that I took just a handful of years ago from Dr. French Collins sure. and from other faculty within the program. But I think that that gives me. A unique angle going into teaching as well, especially being new faculty compared to new faculty that have come from all over the country, because I understand the student base of Shadron. Since I lived in Shadron for a long time, I've lived in the Panhandle virtually my whole life. I understand what people are like here, and that is a lot of our student base. So I understand what students value and the kind of lifestyles they live, the culture that's within this area, what people want to get out of their classes. And I also understand the small class size and that it's a privilege to get to build relationships with your students to network with them. And, you know, I actually know my students' faces and names four weeks into the semester versus when I was at UNO, I was teaching an online class. So I would maybe know three people's faces because they would come to my office hours. And that's really the only way I ever saw them. So it's a really, I really enjoy teaching at Shattern, which is I mean, the best way for me to state it because it is familiar to me. I think if I would have been having my first year teaching anywhere else, it would have been way more daunting. But, you know, it was so weird because I graduated from Shattern State in 2020 and got my master's from UNO in 2022. I think I said 2020 earlier, but my undergrad was 2020 and I hadn't been back in old admin since... March of 2020 oh, before right, the pandemic. Yeah. So it was really weird walking in and it had the typical old admin smell yep. and all that <laughs> stuff. But walking up the stairs to second floor, because that's always where I was, it was just really weird that I'm like, wow, I'm walking up to my office. And the last time I was here, I was walking to a risk and crisis course just down the hall. So And those stairs didn't really, get any shorter either. They didn't. <laughs> they oddly felt longer though. Oh yeah. I really can't explain it. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wonder what this, what's the smell of like students oh. like 
broken dreams. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's the old ambient yeah. renovation smell. It's, it's, yeah. it, 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 there something. is a smell. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. It's, it's better. It had that musty smell. Pre two thousand seven, mm-hmm. we remember that one. Well, there's very carpet well. everywhere. Yeah, in the classroom, and that so. carpet may not have been cleaned. <laughs> yeah, like in deep for a long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned that you might have like imposter syndrome. So first of all, get rid of that because you were hired. <laughs> you were hired here yes. for a reason. Yeah. Daniel and I might be able to give you a little bit of advice because we graduated from Shattern State too, mm-hmm. and then came back to work. Um, I think you kind of just slowly transitioned. In yeah, it seems like it's been a long process. Well, and, and I think because I took um, art classes mm-hmm. and then I taught art classes. And so going from being taught photography by Richard Bird to teaching it. And I, one thing that he's told me is I was, I was nervous before my mm-hmm. first night. And he says, you know this stuff mm-hmm. and you're going to you're going to convey that to them. So. You got to keep that, which may be like almost a, is it a turning an inferiority complex yeah. into a superiority yeah. complex? I don't yeah. know. The thing I always got, one of the best parts, in my opinion, working at a college is your faculty and the, the support staff all around you mm-hmm. want you to succeed. Absolutely. And so when they see you back here, that's kind of a testament to them, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yep. And I'll never forget, because uh, I took a lot of classes from Dean Tucker, mm-hmm. um, and I came back my first week, and I saw him, and I was like, hey, Dr. Tucker. And he's like, no, you call me Dean. And so, like, you know, it's things like yeah. that that, it, you know, oh, wow, I've kind of made it. And yeah. that was forever ago, but um, so stay at it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Did you kind of always know you wanted to teach? So I've lived really kind of lived all over the place. My dad's a dentist, so part of my childhood was living in Lincoln while he got his degree to be a dentist and went to dental school. So I was there for a few years, lived in Spearfish, South Dakota for a year, then moved down to Shadron when he bought um, Dr. Vern Holmes' office when I was like eight. So whatever year that was, I don't even know. Uh, and then just stayed in Shadron for like five or six years as a kid, moved to Scotts Bluff when I was entering seventh grade and graduated high school from there, then came back here. So I've really kind of, I lived in Overland Park, Kansas as a little kid. I would, I think I was in Crawford for like the first six months of my life. So I've really been mostly panhandle, very much Midwest. And mm-hmm. then obviously I was in Omaha most recently for two years. Um, I... Teaching has always been something that I've been drawn to. I actually was, before I got into communication, uh, I took a, I was in the teaching program here. I wanted to be an elementary ed major because I love kids and I love getting to be in a classroom. But I was hesitant because I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do for the next 40, 50 years of my life. I, that just was kind of scary to me to have to make that decision at 18 years old, which I think is something any student, that's why, that's why I enjoy having freshmen is because I can tell them you can change your major. You can change your mind. I changed my major Mm -hmm. at least five times between when I applied to Shadron and like by the time I ended up in communication, it probably was more than that. Maybe mentally it was like 12, but, (laughs) um, so I was in that program. I took the CA 125 Fundamentals of Oral Communication course over the summer with Dr. Shonda French Collins. And she 
saw that I was very unsure of what I wanted to do. I was thinking about transferring to UNK just because I was like, I need out of Shadron. I think it was just being in the same place for such a long mm. time. It just kind of catches up with you. So she was like, I think you should look into joining the communication program. I think it would be a good fit for you. And so I left education. <laughs> but then entering my senior year of my undergrad, I really realized how much I love the theory side of communication, how much I love being in the classroom. I really enjoyed any of the assignments or we would have to teach some concept from the class. So I kind of talked to Shonda about that, and she said, you should look into getting your master's, and I did. And one thing led to another. I was going to stay here, but I ended up going to UNO just because I was wanting to get my PhD, so it was one of those things where it made more sense to go somewhere where I would be writing a thesis and I would be getting my master's in communication rather than the MSOM here, which is a great program, of course, but just not for what I want to do. Um, That's much more of, I think, an applied program versus mine would be that I went to was much more catered towards getting my PhD down the road. So in a very roundabout way, I think I've always been meant to be an educator. Um, And I once I taught at UNO, for the first time in the large lecture hall, I was like, this is absolutely what I want to do and how I want to spend my career. That's excellent. Yeah. So uh, Halloween's around the corner. Yes. And your dad's a dentist. Yes. Were you a house that handed out apples or would you hand out candy? Oh, no, candy for sure. And I had a peanut allergy growing up, so my dad (laughs) always loved when people would give Reese's and Snickers and everything to me because he was like, sorry, Kate, you can't have this candy, but I'll eat it for you. So my dad goes against typical dentist (laughs) standards. All right. It's like so devious, but it... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He'll see him in in six months. Right. (laughs) Maybe it's a good business Well, no, no, just just, just getting getting all the peanuts to the Reese's and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the peanut allergy was just made up. Maybe he just wanted oh, all the peanut no. candy. Do you still have it? No, I don't. I actually grew out of it. I. It was really weird because when my mom was pregnant with me, she would have peanut butter toast and all this stuff yeah. all the time. And then yeah. she gave me some peanut butter toast when I was like two or something. Mm-hmm. And I broke out in hives all over. So I, always, I had an EpiPen from that age until goodness sometime in like late middle school so maybe wow. till like seventh grade and i outgrew it and i can have them now no problem i still don't have walnuts because my mom's allergic to walnuts but okay that's the one thing i love yeah. peanut butter i'm yeah. so thankful i'm not allergic <laughs> to it it's those yeah. big reese's candy bars oh, those like five thousand calories right? <laughs> i love the reese's sticks those are my favorite yeah. see i don't like those i like the ones that are like or the, the outrageous like the ones you outrageous. get at easter like the, oh. like they're the egg shaped yeah, ones. Yeah, the pumpkins. The pumpkin Because they're more fresh. Yeah. They're fresher. Yep. Well, yep. I got to go to the store now. Yep. <laughs> you got to wait till November 1st, though, because right. then they'll all be on sale. Yeah. The good ones are always gone, though. Yeah, that's that's when you get all the dumb, dumb stuffers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So I, I think this next question kind of has answered itself, or do you plan to continue your career in academics? But what's the next step for you? So right now I'm applying to PhD programs. Hopefully, check back in with me in like seven months. Hopefully, I get accepted to University of Central Florida's Strategic Communication PhD program. That's definitely my top choice. I've met with a couple faculty from there when I presented at a communication conference this last spring, and STRATCOM is definitely the area that I kind of want to stay in and get my PhD in. That's really what I want to teach, especially risk and crisis communication. So that's the plan right now. I'm probably going to apply to a couple other programs just right. to have some options because you never know what will happen and to see maybe where I get assistantships to pay for school and everything like that because a PhD is four years and a lot of money. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> if I can find somebody to help me out to pay for it, I definitely will take advantage of that and get to teach at the same time is definitely worth it. Sure. So It yeah. seems like 
it's a scary thing to think about, but yeah, crisis communication, there's sure going to be a need for that. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it was crazy taking the risk and crisis class here in spring of 2020 because the first two months of the class were so kind of chill. I remember I saw some TikToks that were showing things happening over in China before obviously it exploded around the world. What a crazy time. Um, And just gradually in our class, one of our friends or classmates, well, a friend of mine was going on a cruise for spring break. (laughs) And just in retrospect, it's like, oh, we probably should have said, no, don't do that. But everything was fine with her. So it worked out. But it definitely was one of those things that to be in a class learning all the material and having the most pertinent example right in front of you is yeah. it's a really weird kind of juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Talk about the historical experience. Yeah. 30 years from now, you oh know. My gosh. Oh yeah, I was there. Yeah. I lived it. <laughs> <laughs> so so leading up to our podcast today, you mentioned that you're passionate about public relations mm-hmm. and then I guess more broadly strategic communications, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. Tell us what you mean by that. And then why is strategic communication important? I think Daniel and I might have an idea, but I'd like to know why you <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I got into public relations because I really like the aspect that it is earned media, meaning that you can't pay for somebody to run a press release. You can't pay for – I mean, I guess you can pay people to – speak kindly and highly of your organization, but that's not not very ethical to do it that way. But I like the challenge with public relations of having to have your brand presence and have your image, have this narrative constructed around your organization that sheds you in a positive light. But I also like the angle of, and this is what I always tell my students is, if you're getting into PR, it's important to stay honest and ethical because the truth will always be the best tool that you have in your toolbox because the truth can be used against you. So it's better for you to stay in control of the truth. Be honest when you make a mistake in your organization or when things go wrong, which is what you talked about with our class as well uh, yesterday. So I, I first found out about PR from the show Scandal that was on ABC because Olivia Pope was the fixer and that's what I wanted to do is to be a fixer and maybe that's still the route that I'll go. We'll see what happens. But I'm going to have to watch this because I think fixer and I think of Winston Wolf. And <laughs> it's probably not that, is it? No, Different type of fixer. No, it's definitely, it's, yeah, it's definitely reputation fixers of like, we'll cover up this murder for you. That, to be fair, that isn't what I would want to do. But so I, it is Winston it is Wolf. Winston. Yeah, I guess, you know. The Winston Wolf, the famous fixer from Pulp Fiction. Oh, duh, yeah. <laughs> see, I say I like pop culture, but then, anyway. There's always, there's always more. There's just yeah, too much there to keep is track always of. More. Yeah. Um, anyway, so public relations and constructing your image for whatever organization or individual it is you're representing is something that I've been drawn to because there's the creative element to it along with the very strategic element. And strategic communication encompasses risk and crisis communication, health communication, public relations, kind of all under this other umbrella. There's more elements to go to it as well. Even organizational communication can kind of fall under that in some definitions. And it's important to know what tactics you want to use when you're communicating with an audience. And strategic communication can be used truly in every facet of your life. You want to communicate strategically when you're talking with a friend, negotiating where you want to go for lunch that day. You also want to use strategic communication when talking with a professor about, you know, changing if you can maybe improve your grade in some way by redoing an assignment or something like that. Of course, those are definitely more interpersonal examples, but I really enjoy strategic communication for the challenge of 
you might have a client that does something just completely out of left field, and it's your job to figure out how they can properly apologize, how you can best identify the audience of stakeholders and individuals that are consuming anything that they put out into the world, and what you can do to keep their career afloat, and also be honest about, have them be honest about maybe what they've done wrong, or as an organization, encourage them to be honest about what they've done wrong, or positive things that they're doing for the community, or, you know, the culture in general. So it's something that I just really love. Risk and crisis is definitely my favorite area of all of it, just because I enjoy kind of having to really solve problems in a way that's kind of under a time crunch. I like the stress of that, which kind of sounds crazy. Some people do not like that, but I work well under pressure in that way. And I think it's an important role for people to have. And it's especially coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we see how obvious and relevant it is to have a preparedness plan and be proactive rather than reactive. Even if you are a small college in the Panhandle, Nebraska, or if you are a large campus, you know, serving tens of thousands of students in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So when everyone around you is panicking, are you the calm one? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yes, I remember yeah. this is not the same thing at all, but I very much, I get very calm under pressure, which is really funny because I'm kind of like, I can be a very anxious person. So it's funny, like in a true crisis that I like totally zone out. But I remember when I was a student at Shattern State, there was a zombie hunting floor of the haunted house oh, in the sure. old whatever dorm that was that is no longer was it Brook, a dorm. Brooks, Brooks Hall. Hall. Sure. Yeah. And I remember literally everybody ran away from me. So it was just me with this horde of zombies. Obviously they were just students, but I literally, I was so calm and I had my Nerf gun and I took them all <laughs> out and I wasn't supposed to aim for the head, but I watched too much Walking Dead and I aimed for the head and I apologized to all of them. <laughs> but that was one of those moments where I'm like, huh, maybe I am pretty calm under pressure. <laughs> so yeah. The next Zombieland movie. Here we go. Right, yeah. exactly. Oh, I love it. <laughs> For sure. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Zombieland, so you have uh, told us that you are a pop culture nerd. Mm -hmm. Elaborate. <laughs> so pop culture has been a big part of my life. Oh, my gosh. For as long as I can remember, I've always been a kid that plays video games and just read books or watch lots of movies and TV shows. And I just really enjoy the escapism that comes with those kinds of forms of pop culture. But as I've gotten older, it's also turned into even pop culture in the more broad sense of TikTok trends and social media trends and all of that kind of stuff. So it was really exciting being at UNO because my thesis advisor and one of my mentors, Dr. Adam Tima, he is very big into media studies, and that was an area of communication research that I didn't even really know existed. I really thought that that was strictly for, like, film majors and anybody that has strictly studied film, but I learned from him that I could study film theory within communication and kind of take my love and knowledge for pop culture and apply it to apply research to it, which was just really exciting for me. So I ended up doing my thesis on um, a pop culture topic, which was really exciting. And my goal with academia is really to be able to kind of bridge this intersection between strategic communication and pop culture. So 
my thesis wasn't on this, but I did a separate paper that I presented at Central States Communication Association in the Strategic Communication Interest Group, and it was about the reputational crisis surrounding Fallout 76, which was a video game launch several okay. years ago that just did not go over very well. The game was not fully polished, so I used this concept called apologia theory and analyzed how they apologized to the audience and then all of their messaging beforehand leading up to it. So it was really fun for me to kind of get to put on this hat of of me being a strategic communication scholar and understanding the theoretical and applied side of it, but then also taking a franchise that I adore. I love the Fallout video games. They're all Adam Punk themed and it's very post-apocalyptic. The whole world is, you know, a nuclear bomb goes off and destroys the world and that's kind of, you're living in the world after that. So it's a very unique franchise, but... Now that makes me... I, I might have to have you send me a copy of that paper because yeah. I, I can't remember what the news was like around that, but I do remember when the game No Man's Sky was released yes. and that whole mess. Yes, it was. That was kind of one of the first big reputational crises. And then Cyberpunk 2077 came oh, out. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember. And a that bit, sure. one was horrendous. I'm, I would say I'm sorry, CD Projekt Red, but. Ooh, they the way that that was handled was just really bad across the board. And it was really interesting doing this research on Fallout and Bethesda as a company because I was able to see that they actually did have a lot of messaging beforehand that was letting people know the game wasn't going to be perfect. It was okay. their first time doing a multiplayer game in that capacity within their world. So they were letting people know there are going to be bugs, there's going to be issues, but okay. people weren't following the messaging as closely as they could have been. Mm. So then they were upset and it kind of made sense then why Bethesda went about apologizing in the way that they did because they had been kind of priming their audience to let them know this isn't going to be perfect and we know that and we appreciate your feedback. Yeah. So it was really it was really interesting as a consumer to kind of take that step back and be like, huh, I guess I should have, you know, paid a little more attention to their <laughs> blog. <laughs> so yeah. Neat. That is excellent. Now when you were a student you worked at Disney World mm-hmm. as part of the Disney College program. What was that? What was that experience like? So my high school best friend, she actually is still working at Disney World, and she did the Disney College program while she uh, went to school at UNK, and I had always kind of heard about it. And it's essentially supposed to act as – they have a separate internship program, so I don't want to say it's an internship program, but in a sense it is – and you apply, they place you in a role that you indicate interest in, and you can either accept it or decline it and apply in the future, hopefully get a different role. And I applied, interviewed with Disney, and I was placed with the Bibbidi Bobby Boutique, which is where they do the makeovers. Say that five times Yeah, fast. no kidding. I know every time I'm like, oh, let's hope <laughs> I get it out right. Uh, so the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique is where kids come to get makeovers into princesses and knights and pirates and just all that kind of stuff, princes, everything like that. And it's a whole experience. And man, it's a stressful kind of environment being in there. Yeah, there's kids involved. There's no magic wands in the real world. I know. It's really painful. It's, oh my gosh, it was such a fun experience. And I loved getting to kind of make-believe with the kids all the time. And there were also some challenges that came with it, of course, because you had, you know, some kids that were from foreign countries that didn't speak any English. So having to kind of explain things to them so they aren't freaked out. I mean, this is a stranger touching Mm -hmm. your hair, putting makeup on you, putting nail polish on you. Like, it's a lot. And you only have, like, 20 to 30 minutes to do it. So it definitely was... 
an experience, and I really loved getting to work with all the guests. My favorite was when Nebraskans would come in because we had to be like, oh, I hail from the kingdom of Nebraska. <laughs> uh, we can't, you know, you have to be in character all the time. But it was a great experience, and, you know, I really recommend it to anybody that might be interested in doing the Disney College program just because it's just really cool kind of getting to see behind the curtain and especially if you're a big Disney fan it's pretty fun to kind of be a part of making all that magic all the time it's really interesting though because once you do the Disney college program you realize that Disney World is and I'm no longer an employee of Disney so I'm not speaking for the company but it's very interesting that uh the parks are run by the Disney College Program kids, mostly, like, in the evenings, which they're all trained. So, I mean, they know what they're doing, mm-hmm. and there's definitely still leadership there. But it's kind of interesting, like, oh, yeah, these are all, like, 19-year-olds operating <laughs> these theme parks. But, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just kind of an interesting, like, you don't think about it. But then once you're a part of it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that right. is how it's running. <laughs> well, uh, what is it? Elsa and Anna and mm-hmm. Belle, they don't grow older, so no, they, there, exactly. has, to be that, there exactly. has to be that constant yep. age. Absolutely. A stream of, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's see. Last of our main questions. What do you like to do away from work when you're not analyzing uh, <laughs> pop culture? Oh, gosh. I mean, I... Sadly, it sounds really lame, but all of it kind of relates back to pop culture because it's typically, you know, watching something or... So my thesis was on... Um, I basically used feminist film theory to evaluate the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how women are constructed from phase one to phase three and early phase four because there hadn't been any research really out there about that before. And I kind of wanted to do just a comprehensive look at how women are constructed to kind of show where they were kind of how they progressed and then where they could go moving forward. So because of watching 20-some Marvel-related things in a span of seven months and that kind of be my whole life, I definitely am behind on all of the Marvel (laughs) releases recently. Uh, So... Yeah, it's mostly been watching House of the Dragon, uh, reading some different books, and just trying to kind of stay well-read in that way. Um, Applying for PhD programs because it just it is time-consuming. Prepping for classes is a big one just Mm -hmm. because I was a little bit of a late hire, so there definitely wasn't as much time to prep compared to other individuals. It was it was definitely a whirlwind. So it's been like I said, it's been great, but it's been a lot of work, kind of prepping at home. But I enjoy it. I'm a night owl, so it doesn't bother me to be doing that kind of stuff uh, outside of the work day anyway. And hang out with my dog and my cat and my parents and friends when, you know, all my friends kind of live away from Shattern just because we've, you know, I just moved back here in August. So definitely all of my friends that were here when I was at Shattern State have moved. So it's mostly just hanging out. I'm kind of a homebody. So, but I, I like it, I guess. So that's kind of how I spend my time. It isn't super exciting, but hopefully as we get into winter, I kind of get to start doing more stuff. It'd be nice to go skiing a few times this winter and all that fun stuff. So it doesn't need to be exciting. It just needs to be relaxed. Exactly. That's true. Yes. Because key, we all need more relaxation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, we've reached that point in our interview where we ask you some quick questions. So first thing that comes to your head. Okay. What's a favorite musical of yours? The first one I always think of is Hamilton. Oh, that's a great one. But I think I'm going to go with Waitress. 
Waitress is a little more underrated, and it's just such a fun show with great music. And I knew it was like different. a movie. I didn't yes. know it was a musical. They turned it into a musical after oh, the movie. It's a Sarah cool. Bareilles. Uh, she tur- she wrote all the music for it. So if you know Sarah Bareilles and yeah. all her pop music, it's a really I would encourage you to check it out. It's a pretty cool musical and nice. a cool story. Really great songs and yeah, definitely recommend. I haven't seen it live, but I'd like to someday. There you go. On, been, the, on the list for relaxation. That's right. <laughs> I've been listening to music uh, from time to time from a, a musical called Hades Town. Yes. There's some great songs on that. It's a cool, I'd, I wanted to see to when see they were that. in Omaha, yeah. but I wasn't able to, but yeah, that was a great one too. Mm-hmm. All right. What was the first concert you went to? It was actually B.B. King. It oh, was oh, when nice. I was like. Wow, classic. Yeah. Oh, it was like when I was maybe in sixth grade or fifth grade or something, we were in North Carolina and went to tour the Vanderbilt estate just because we were right there and it was something and they're like, oh, we have a BB King concert tonight. Do you guys just want to get <laughs> tickets for that? Like it was at Vanderbilt estate and my parents were like, sure. <laughs> so that was my first concert. I'm a big concert person though. So my favorite concert is definitely Greta Van Fleet. I've seen them twice and they were awesome. But my first one was BB King, which sets a pretty, pretty solid bar. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. What's the best advice you received as a student? Hmm. I would say take advantage of office hours. They're there for a reason. And with that, don't be afraid to build relationships with your professors and um, lean on them and use them. You find one that you really connect with and then build that relationship with them to be kind of a person that you can go back to for advice or letters of recommendation or just having that rapport with and networking because I know for myself, I'm primarily here for the students. I love the information that I've learned, but more than anything, the reason why I'm still in it is because I love interacting with students and getting to build relationships with them. So yeah, I would say take advantage of office hours and take advantage of getting to have that time with instructors outside of the classroom because that's what we're here for. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, that is. So one of your favorite foods? Ooh, I miss sushi. There's so Uh. much good food in Omaha. And that's been one of the hardest parts about leaving Omaha. It So I believe it's kind of one of the top food places. Like the number of restaurants per capita for Omaha is like one of the highest mm-hmm. in the country. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. It's used as a tester city for a lot of oh. big restaurants or something. I guess fact check me on that. I don't know for sure. That's just what I've heard from a few different people when I lived down there. But there was so much good sushi. And mm. also I, I lived in the Blackstone area, which is kind of right by UNMC. Kind of a young professional age group, so a lot of really good restaurants. And I miss Moolah, which was the Mexican food there, this amazing Mexican food restaurant. Noli's Pizzeria. There was a place called Meatball that was a meatball place, obviously. (laughs) Crazy, I know. And I really miss Hero 88 because that was the sushi place that they had this sweet chili crab roll that was just oh, so nice. good. Yes, so good. There's one so of those good. in Lincoln I've eaten at. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty yummy. They're good. So. You'll have to check. I know you like sushi. You'll have yes. to check it out. Yep. Excellent. Good stuff. <laughs> How many times have you been to the top of Sea Hill? Oh, gosh. I mean, in college, probably twice or maybe three times, probably three times when I was in college. But then as a kid, I mean, I lived on 9th and Bordeaux, so it was 
just so easy to buzz up on mm-hmm. campus. I remember riding my scooter around campus as a kid and then hiking up to Sea Hill. So probably like a dozen times in my life, but just like three when I was a student. I haven't been back up yet this this year and it's getting a little cold now. So maybe, <laughs> maybe this spring I'll oh, have to no make excuse. a trek up yeah. there. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> one time I hiked Sea Hill. So there was one day in my photojournalism class where we had to go take pictures and a couple of my classmates and I hiked Sea Hill to take pictures from up there. And I had like healed boots on so i can Probably say that i ideal. climbed sea hill in boots though not yeah, everybody well like done. in heels yeah. so i guess that's a claim to fame i guess yeah good job <laughs> thanks <laughs> well caitlin thank you so much for joining us today yeah. it's been a, a lot of fun getting to know you a little bit better and and good luck the rest of the semester and into the spring thank you so much thanks for having me it was great to speak with you yeah thank you yeah